Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers. It is I, Taylor, and I'm here joined, as always, with my best friend and co-host, Isaac. What's up, dude? It is I, Isaac, as well. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, Today, this evening, this morning, whatever time it is for you all out there, uh, we have a very special guest, a fellow California uh, resident, Tyler Horsepool, um, has joined us on the pod. Uh, Everybody knows who Tyler is, but he's, uh, you know, won the first giant calling in Las Vegas top eight at us nationals top 64 the pro tour has won many tournaments and uh it's just a real pleasure to talk to so i hope you will all enjoy that but first taylor do we have any news uh yeah uprising is delayed in the united states so july the first weekend of july is when uprising will be out uh kind of a bummer but this is bad it news is- it is what it is, and it's like it's not the worst thing, you know. I think uh, Blake from Outcast Haven had like a great little tweet about it, like, "Oh, so you know, I've played through Star Wars Destiny, and every set got delayed by months. So <laughs> this is like nothing." And I was like, "You know what? That's totally fair." As a person who did that as well, good call. So just uh, be patient, everyone. It'll be okay. Yeah, I remember that. It would be like a month or two delay at the last minute or something. You were like, yeah, what? totally. It's what like am I five supposed to days, do? Five days before the set comes out. It won't be out for two more months. And you're like, wait, what? How are we finding this out now? This is wild. Were you just hoping? Anyway, we could we could talk about that for forever. Um so yeah, we had Tyler on, a great dude, uh, really kind of long podcast. We didn't get to uh, any kind of listener questions we pulled off of Twitter for him. So you're going to just have to ask him yourself. Uh, so sorry, because we just like, we're, we're gabbing, gabbing along and uh, lost track of time and uh, we needed to go. So, yep. We will definitely answer questions for our next guest, though, if you leave them on Twitter. So please do not give up hope. <laughs> Still leave us questions because I really appreciate it. Uh, it just ran a bit long this evening and we got a bit lost down our, you know, different different paths and tangents and all that. Totally. We'll have them on again. Don't you worry. Bank those Don't questions. Don't you worry. Um, so I have a couple of shout outs before we get into our interview with Tyler. Uh this last weekend was pre-release, so big shout out to the Portland area. Uh, I made the hardcore road trip up to Portland and back, and I had a blast. Everybody there is so cool. Um, you know, Discs and Dice Premier Store in Troutdale, uh, you know, owned by friend of the show, uh, Travis aka on it uh just a great scene over in portland great stores well run uh and it was such a blast i went with two locals shout out to levi and patrick 
their first out of the area flesh and blood tournament and all three of us top aided our first pre-release and patrick won it so it was freaking awesome those young guns were over the moon psyched that they like first thing they did was top eight an event so uh it was a ton of fun so shout outs to all those folks pretty good track record (laughs) i know right (laughs) um yeah, I also I only attended one pre-release, um, but I uh, had a great time playing with all of our locals, um, some of whom are listeners. So thank you guys. I just like had so much fun hanging out. Um, we live in a pretty rural area, so I only had one release to go to, but I'm very grateful that we do have all of you locals to, um, you know, give us some some in-store, in-person games. Um you know, or to have that available for us. Um, oh, I also, yeah. I beat Patrick. So I think I basically won Portland, right? <laughs> Isn't that how that works? By our continued I, fab logic on the pod. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> how that works. Um, so you, you beat know. one person once and you just get all of their trophies basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And the cutoff for when they can beat you to steal those trophies back ends immediately as soon as you beat them. <laughs> so it's impossible to win in this scenario. Uh, I have a master's degree, so I can say that. Yeah. Great. Uh, uh, well, is there anything else before we move right into it? Uh, no, that's it. I hope everybody just enjoys this uh, episode. I didn't know Tyler too terribly well before coming into this. And uh, now I, I think I've found a kindred spirit. I hope he would say the same. We didn't talk about it on the pod, but I'm sure he'll uh, slide into my DMs after listening to this particular minute of me talking. So that'll be me great. Me too. What a great guy. <laughs> totally. One of the greats. So... Enjoy our interview with Tyler Horsepool. Okay, we're here with Tyler Joseph Horsepool, the uh, Prism Extraordinaire. Is Joseph your middle name? I was just I just threw a shot in the dark. There. <laughs> no, I was like I was like, where did you pick up that? That was interesting. Threw me off. Um, my middle name is Bryant, actually. Uh, like ah, Kobe Bryant. Nice. Uh, it's Close. good to be here, though. Thanks for throwing me off there. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, I listen to you guys all the time. I would say that you're probably one of two podcasts that I actually listen to for, like, actual informational purposes. Like, and I'd say that's high praise, the other one being Arsenal Pass. But um, I don't. I wouldn't say that I listen to very many other podcasts for the, the purposes of, like, keeping my game up and, like, actually, like, getting better as a player. So thanks, thank you guys for, for keeping on and, and uh, putting all the podcasts out. Awesome. Thank you. That's probably the best compliment you could have given us. Um, yeah, I probably mentioned your name on our podcast like a little bit like an embarrassing 
amount of times maybe when just looking for an example of a competitive player. So you're, you're not uh, the I'm only glad one. you've been enjoying it. <laughs> you're not the only one for sure. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you up top. So obviously uh, my name is Taylor and a lot of times people I'll introduce myself and then later in a party or social situation, they say, Oh, it's, it's nice to meet you, Tyler. And then I have to go, Oh no, no, no my name is Taylor. Uh, does the opposite ever happen to you? It does not. Although I do have a funny story. Uh, one of the guys that works at my local game shop, and he's also kind of a competitive player when it comes to other games that I play, gets mistaken all the time for me just because of the way that he looks. And they're like, wow, Tyler, you lost a lot of weight. And he's like, actually, no, I'm George. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah uh, i guess you know uh maybe when you reach my level of stardom then (laughs) (laughs) right everybody's like oh that's got to be him right that's got to be is that him (laughs) uh awesome well we're we're really psyched to have you on the podcast um you know you're uh, a california native i i understand in socal so uh give us a bit of background about yourself you know uh as far back as you want to go as detailed as you want to go we're here for it you know your fans are here listening so that's uh that's a big wind that's a big door for you to open for me because i could just come crashing through well you're uh, a big deal i'll take thank you uh, i'm not i'm not yeah well i'll, I'll take it um all right so i started playing games when i was probably you know four or five years old i come from a gaming family we love playing board games we i learned how to play poker when i was five six years old um and then from there uh video, i'm gonna date myself a little bit here but you know video games were kind of becoming mainstream and kind of invented around this time so um i remember playing like one of my first video games that i ever played on a computer was called eco quest and it was uh about you're like somebody swimming through the ocean and you're trying to pick up trash maybe it was a little bit before it's time but it was an interesting you know introduction to video games from there i played like doom and uh then eventually like counter-strike and starcraft and warcraft you know these games were coming out so i played a lot of that growing up and then I got into like board gaming and, uh, you know, uh, TCGs in high school. So um, my first foray into board games was chess outside of like, you know, playing with your family and things like, you know, um, like, you know, life or Monopoly or whatever um, was chess. And th- this was my first chance to like really set myself apart and be like competitive at board games. And uh as a freshman, I walked into our local chess club and they were having a tournament. So I kind of like taught myself how to play, looked up stuff online, which was kind of sparse at the time, but um, kind of figured out what I was doing. And uh, I ended up, uh, it was a weird thing because the teacher didn't really know how to set up a bracket properly. So we ended up with uh, three people at the end instead of two, like you're supposed to. <laughs> and uh and the weird part was that like my game matched up against one of the players so well that i was continuously beating him then he was beating the other player and that player was beating me so we just couldn't get to the end of it because the bracket was set up wrong and so we just ended up splitting the prizes in a, in a three-way split but they were both seniors and i was a freshman so i felt really good about that and i think that gave me the taste of you know 
my competitive drive. And I think those are the two things that I, that, well, I, I guess there's three things that really put me into like where I am today, as far as like, okay, now I'm into magic and flesh and blood. Now I'm really into flesh and blood, right? Like that's my main, my main jam. And the three things that really put me into that growing up were a, you know, I love the gathering part, you know, um, James White always says bringing people together through great games, right? And that really resonates with me is that I like playing great games. I like being together with people playing those games. And then the third thing that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about specifically in that sentence is that competitive drive. And so those three things are all in flesh and blood. And that's, that's how I, how I got into flesh and blood. Um, I had some friends that pointed me in that direction. I was like, Hey, this game is, this game is excellent. Um, it's somewhere in between chess and magic, in my opinion, as far as the luck factor is concerned. It's a little bit closer to chess, which I like. But there's still some variance involved, especially when you're talking about Starvo and things like that. But, um, you know, that leads me to where to where I am today. And I'm always on the hunt for more tournaments. In fact, you just talked about how I was a, a Southern California native. We have a tournament coming up, a battle hardened next month, uh, which I understand you guys will be doing the commentary on. So... I'll be playing, you guys will be commentating, and, and I'm very excited about that. So it's like the story continues from from there to be continued. Yeah, yeah the, the narrative is always really uh, really fun and how it just continues over the years as we'll, uh, you know, mature. Um, I did think it was really interesting you mentioned you you like poker quite a bit because I, I kind of see a lot of parallels, right? Because in poker there's like variants hand by hand, but you need to beat your opponent across the whole game, right? Which is kind of what flesh and blood is. It's like there's variants in each individual hand, but, you know, over the course of the game, you know, if uh, hopefully the more skilled player wins. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that much before. I haven't played poker in a little while, but uh, it's kind of an interesting parallel. You'd, you'd be surprised at how many card players in general you meet or chess player, like... There was a chess convention going on at um, the Vegas World Premiere that I was just at, and almost the entire table was chess players, magic players, and flesh and blood players. And um, you'd be surprised at how many, like how people go back and forth between the games and such, it, like it, all of these games. And so, um, you know, it's 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 why you know if this was a new game that came out of nowhere, people are like you know they might pick it up or they might not, but when you have people that love being in this sphere and all the games are kind of similar with different rules and they play differently, you end up with a lot of the same people. For sure. Um, a couple of things you said there. So your note about chess, um, I actually, in preparation for one of our episodes on tempo, me and Isaac had like a lot of conversations about uh, how, you know, the, the idea of tempo is maybe a little bit easier to understand in chess. So I went and uh, played some games of chess at the uh, high school I work at. And I like beat one freshman kid and I was like, okay, sweet, great. Yeah. Cause I like knew one period that they always like play. And then another kid just like definitely was going to beat me. And I like, you know, kind of slow played a little bit. So the per period would end and be like, Oh, sorry, I got to go, <laughs> you know? Um, so in, in a way, uh, shout out to Cesar, he, you know, he's you, the freshman beating the senior, you know, but I don't play chess and he was, uh, definitely better than me. So, uh, yikes. 
But, and then for the road trip stuff, like I just got back, like, um, me and two local guys went and blasted a like Portland road trip, which is like seven and a half hours from my house, um, for pre-release. And, you know, we had a blast. We went to Portland, played two pre-releases in the same day, drove back for our locals on Sunday. And it was just like, you know, all fab all the time, listening to fab podcasts, talking fab stuff. And, you know, even though I did pull a Marvel and uh, Crown of Providence in one of the pre-releases, the best part was the the social part, like getting to see homies that I'm uh, that I know in Portland and driving up with the homies and, you know, all of that stuff. That's like the takeaway, which is, uh, I think, one of the most positive things about being uh, like really into games type of thing. You know, it's like winning is cool, but like you said, the the relationships we have is like what we really remember and what makes it really good. Yeah. So uh, talking a little bit about that. Well, first, let me let me one up you on the pools. I've been to a world premiere. I did a draft in Vegas and then I did two pre-releases. And between those and the prize packs, I opened the cold foil draconic uh, chess piece. I opened the cold foil arms for Delusionist. Uh, I opened a Marvel dragon and a rainbow foil crown of Providence. So I was just like luck boxing my way through these packs. <laughs> um, anyway, to your point about how the, you know, the gathering part is uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about how like, you don't have to be in the, like, just because I'm consider myself a competitive player doesn't mean I have to be in that mindset all the time. When I do yeah. a pre-release, I want to have fun and I'm more in the gathering mindset. And then sometimes I want to be like just enjoying the game mindset and doesn't even have to be particularly about competition or meeting people. I just can enjoy the game. And then sometimes most of the time I would say I'm on that competitive drive, that drive to be better, to better myself and to, to make myself better than other people. And so I think it's excellent that no matter, like some people can be more on one of those tracks than others. And so, and between, I know for myself, I'm on all on a different one of those tracks at any given time. And so I, I love that about the game. That's good because uh, sometimes it's hard to, you know, or hard for some people to like separate those things just on the fly. Um, remember like the last two pro quests I went to, I did not plan on going to Lille. So I was not really, you know, super emotionally or personally invested in the game. You know, I like wanted to do well, but um, it, I was just like having so much fun playing against everybody and was maybe a little bit too chipper and like some of my opponents were maybe like pretty serious and I'm like, you know, just joking with them and stuff. But I, it's really, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of freeing or nice to, uh, just like approach any event casually every once in a while. And just like, you know, I'm here to have fun. Yeah. You know, I'm here to top four or whatever. So I think that's important for probably everybody to do. Totally. And it's great to hear like someone who's had as much success as you have had Tyler um, to say that they like enjoy the game. They enjoy being casual. They enjoy the gathering, you know, as a, uh, a competitive person myself, I'm always, there's always that thought in the back of your mind, like, ah, the other guys out there, like probably not enjoy just spiking events and, and always grinding and stuff. And I'm over here taking the weekend off, like, having fun just playing a meme deck or something like that, you know? And uh, so it's good to know that, you know, 
uh, you're a person, not a robot. So can confirm Tyler Horsepool, Tyler Bryant Horsepool, human being. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, human things. That's <laughs> what they taught me in robot class. <laughs> totally. Uh, Tyler, I also wanted to touch base with you about teaching because uh, I oh, myself yeah. am a teacher. Um, I, I teach both at a high school and at our community college. And so uh, what do you teach is what I want to know. Let's talk. Yeah. Teaching. Okay. Let's talk teaching. Um, I, well, it's kind of awkward right now because I taught now I'm looking for an, another job still in the teaching field. I, I very much enjoy teaching, but um, I quit on my own terms on, on this one, but I did teach up until now at a K through eight private school. And I taught mostly the math classes. So um, it was a religious school. It's a Catholic school. So, um, and I'm not myself Catholic. So I, I wasn't teaching the uh, Catholic courses. So instead I would teach all the math courses. And then we had somebody who taught the literature courses, especially for the upper, upper grades. So I taught eighth grade math, seventh grade math, sixth grade math. And I even taught all the way down to third grade math for a moment there. Um, but it was like math, math, math. I taught a lot of computers. I taught some social studies. Out of private school, you kind of have that leeway of just right. teaching what you want. Um, there were some downsides, which is why I ended up quitting, which is, uh, you know, um, maybe the hours were a little too long and the pay was a little too low. Gas prices are getting a little too high. But um, I very much enjoy teaching. And, uh, you know, my, the kids were and the parents were really sad to hear that I was that I was leaving. But um, yeah, teaching, I would say that uh, whenever I sit down at a, you know, flesh and blood game or a poker tournament, and I say I'm a math teacher, like, um, people are like, oh, I get it. Oh, that's why you're so good at this. <laughs> like, yeah, this sounds like the plot to a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'll be going back to school here, because actually, I didn't, I actually kind of fell into teaching. I, um, I majored in economics at um for my degree and i originally wanted to get into like finance like i wanted to be a stockbroker or something like that and i had a couple meetings with people and uh it just wasn't for me like there was a lot of um talking about how you need to like basically go beg people to buy your stuff and and that kind of thing and i'm while i'm a, a salesperson in the right thing that i like like i can be a great salesperson for flesh and blood or anything like that i i it wasn't for me to just go at somebody's doorstep and sell something that I didn't, you know, particularly believe in or not. And so I decided that wasn't for me. And um, I had a friend who was like, you should get into subbing while you're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and so I went and subbed for a while um, originally. And I was like, hey, I kind of like this idea. I've done some tutoring in the past and I like this. Maybe I should uh, get into that. And especially when I got towards the end of subbing, the main problem I had with subbing in particular was that there was a lot of sad stories of, you know, for the kids. And, um, as a sub, you're only there one or two days. So I couldn't really fix what was yeah. in their life in one or two days. So, um, now, you know, as a full-time teacher for the last three years, um, I've had a lot more effect on the kids' lives and I have a lot more like, Hey, they need help with this. Let's get them that help. And, and that's been really good for my own mental as well as theirs. So, um, I'm, very much prefer the full-time teaching to the subbing, but I might be going back to subbing while I, while I get my credential and get into public, probably high school math or junior high math is what I'm looking at. Oh, sweet. Well, uh, 
the school district I work for definitely needs another math teacher. So if you want to move, you know, 16 hours north, you can uh, crash at my place and uh, we'd be teaching buddies together. Hey, huh? but, hey, but don't don't say things you don't mean because it might take you up on it one day. <laughs> I mean, you got dogs, you're a dog guy. Boom. That's all I need. Teacher, dog guy, flesh and blood. Boom. Friendship engaged. Absolutely. Sweet. Did you so you had to teach through COVID and, and lockdowns and that sort of thing? Yes. Uh, so we actually had a lot of teachers let go during that time. And as a new teacher, I thought I was going to be on the chopping block. But um, because I'm younger, I'm very technology based. I was already teaching the computers classes. Mm-hmm. I was kind of made myself um, unlet goable because right. they needed yeah. the indispensable. The I made yeah. myself indispensable. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I had to teach through that, and um, it, it, it's weird because a lot of people think you know um, the COVID must have been hard on all the kids. It actually worked for some of my kids. Some of my kids mm-hmm. obviously it didn't work for like people think in their minds, but for some of my kids like they when they were um on distance learning they they actually excelled and then when they got back with all the distractions they fell apart again so yeah um, that was kind of interesting in its own own sense but um yeah i i did a lot of the distance learning and then for the last year we we did not do distance learning at all this right yeah we were in person um this year too but my my college courses have all been uh online um, and that sort of thing, which are they still looking know, to be online next year as well? No, I think we're doing a larger portion, uh, in person at, uh, college of the Redwoods, which is good. Um, you know, students are more bought in, in a, uh, upfront scenario and teaching online is like, uh, is okay. Uh, you know, you just don't have the, I mean, the best part about teaching, for me is the like connection you make with your students and the actual teaching and mentoring. Like I, like the days where that goes really well at the high school I work at are like, there's no day that's better than that. It's just like, I come home talking to my wife, like, Oh my God, I, I taught this student, this thing, and we had a breakthrough, et cetera. And it's, you know, it makes the like whole thing uh, worth it. And in, in those moments, I'm like, man, this is like the best job. I'm so glad I'm doing this job. But teaching online is like all I get. The most interactions I get are with my students who are not doing very well and send me emails like uh, 10 minutes before the due date. Like, oh, sorry, I'm like been really whatever all week. And I'm just like, sorry, it says in the syllabus, no late work. Like, also, I'm not getting this until the next day because I'm not up at midnight on Sunday. I'm, I'm asleep. So I'm very sorry. So that's like, that's really hard to like deal with for a whole semester on your mental health, you know? Yeah, Even I, though I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, could, I couldn't agree more. I'm coming from to teaching from like, that's the reason that I I teach and in fact that one of my teacher trainings the thing that really resonated with me is that when these kids leave and you you can tell when you grow up you don't remember how to you know you don't remember exactly what the pythagorean theorem might be or what you learned in a specific history class but you'll remember those stories of a teacher that might have looked out for you or you know obviously a lot of the things with your peers but um 
that really resonated with me. And I have a couple students that, you know, um, I'll be vested in their, <laughs> what they're going to be doing as they're, they're growing up as well. And I'm sure I'll check in with their parents and whatnot, but, um, and I've even told them that I, I'm willing to come back to go do decathlon again. We have an academic decathlon at our school and I, when, you know, gaming and teaching collide, uh, <laughs> that's when I'm in my element, I guess. So. Heck yeah. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough chit chat. I now know that you're a big math guy. So uh, this is going to be great because I have a brand new segment for everybody. Isaac, you get to participate in this as well. Um, this is called By the Numbers. So this is going to be a quiz situation. I have six questions. Each of you gets three questions each. And there is one correct right answer. And each of you will have a chance to steal the other person's question. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So this is all uh, kind of percentage based off of a website I found. I don't know how good this data is. So... Uh, don't be mad at me, be mad at this website and maybe help them out. So I got this from, uh, favbrek.gg. I don't know. Have you guys heard of that website? I okay. So it's similar to something we, not we, I don't play magic that there is in magic, uh, EDH rec or something uh, like that, where they keep track of, uh, cards in decks and that sort of thing. That makes sense. Yeah, I've heard, I think I've heard of this, that there's like, there's, there was a similar thing for Fab that, that came out. Great. Like that, yeah. Cool. So we'll be going off of those numbers uh, for this quiz. Tyler, since you are the guest, you get to have the first question. Do you both have any questions about what is about to happen to you? <laughs> I mean, a, a bunch, but let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> these questions are okay <laughs> tyler what is the least played card in prism but it has seen play and this is historically speaking in prism's lifespan as a deck so there's one card that has been played in a prism deck but this is the least played card wow i didn't i i expected them to be uh hard questions but i didn't expect it to be this hard um Wait, is this a does this include generics or light cards or just illusionist cards? Well, that's good. I'll give you a hint. It is it is an illusionist card, and it's not a weapon. Like it has to be a card in your deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a card in the deck in the sixty in the eighty. Spears of Serility would be my guess. Ooh, that's pretty good. No, uh, Spears beats out Yellow Prismatic Shield. Oops, sorry, Wait, I, Isaac. I don't get to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to guess Yellow Prismatic guess Shield? Yellow no, Prismatic I was going to guess Blue Prismatic Shield. Ooh. I would have given Close. him half a point. Give him half a Blue point. Blue Glisten would be pretty good, too. Isaac, you get one half Glisten. point. Sorry, I got so excited. I just couldn't <laughs> believe that Yellow Prismatic Shield was played. Um, it's okay. This game is rigged. I'm going to lose anyway. Five percent of decks, prism decks, apparently in classic constructed, had 
prismatic shield, according to the numbers. Okay, Isaac, here's your question. What is the least played card in Azalea? Same thing, historically speaking, etc. Um. Yeah, figure it out. Jeez. <laughs> you can do this it. This is tough. Um, I'm going to go with the blue. No. Uh, I don't know. Blue paving helix. Okay. We're locking that in as your final answer. Tyler, chance to steal because Isaac, you're wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go with yellow tape cover. Oh, that's very good. But no, that's not correct. The card is Nimble Strike Red. Nimble Strike Red. Yeah. Oh, I used yeah. to run that. One Tricky. of three Nimbleisms, one Nimble Strike. Yeah. Then you yeah. should know. Then you should know. <laughs> it was in my deck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The score is 0. 0.5 to 0. Okay, champ. Tyler, you're up here. Now, this is uh, your nemesis, Briar. So hopefully you can get this one down because you got to play both sides of the table here. In Briar, what is the least played equipment between, you have two choices here, Shock Charmers or Null Rune Rub? Which one is least played in Briar decks? Uh, I'd have to go with Null Rune Rub. You yeah. are correct. Yep. Shock Charmers has one percentage point better than Nolrun Robe. <laughs> I'm in the lead now. You're in the lead now. It's 1 to 1.5. Shock Charmers I mean, is 5. excellent after that yeah. little Kano run. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But this is like all of Briar's lifetime, you know. Right. But yeah, right. it probably is getting a bit of a bump there. Okay, Isaac, over to you. What is the most played non-attack action card in all decks. In all of time. Uh yeah, in like competitive uh, in competitive seasons, right? So think about this a bit more. What have been the most highly represented pies of the meta, etc. I don't know. I'm taking too long. I'm gonna say red nimbleism. Okay, that is incorrect. Over to you, Tyler. Least Played non-attack action card. Most played non-attack action card. Uh, and it can, it doesn't have to be generic. It can be from any class. Correct. Uh, Flicker Wisp. Oh, cool. No, you're on to something uh, with thinking it's a Runeblade E card. It's Gorgonian Tome is the most played non-attack action card. I guess it is a one-of in the decks that it's played in. Hmm. Yep, and it's splits between all of the Rune Blades who have all been very good in the meta, so they're all playing it, etc. Okay, sense. no change in score, Isaac. You have half a point, Tyler. You have one point. Um, <clears throat> okay, whose turn is it? Is this Isaac's question now, or is this Tyler's? Okay, it's Tyler. Okay, what is the most played attack action card and non-attack action card historically in Guardian? Hmm. Yeah, attack and non-attack. See, this is where all are playing. <laughs> you have to see like where the data comes from because there's like a lot of old data. Is there not? Um, I'm gonna 
go with that since it's probably a newer site i'm going to go with uh oak and old is the most played attack and the most played non-attack is um in guardian um And not oh it has to be non attack not a defense reaction correct, uh, correct. Yeah. I'm taking too long I got to think of any non attack action that Guardian <laughs> <laughs> uh, Terra Sunder okay half a point for Tyler Terra Sunder is the most non most played non attack action Isaac can you get the most played attack action no way I thought it was blessing of deliverance but um, that's a non attack I know. I oh, thought you thought the beginning oh, gotcha. of time okay, gotcha. that gotcha, would gotcha. take it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with disable. I think everybody runs blue disable. Ooh, that's pretty good. I like that generic uh, guardian attack. No, it is spinal crush. Spinal that crush. Makes that makes sense. Right. Starvo, I think, makes that yeah. number a bit different there. Okay, great job. Um. Oh, this is fun. All right, Isaac. Uh, here you go. You need this bad boy to take the lead and tie the game up. Okay. <laughs> take it and tie. <laughs> Here you go. Which card in chain is not in 90% of the decks? So one of these three cards I'm going to give you okay. is not in 90% of the decks. It's less than 90. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Is it A, Shadow of Urser, B, Shrill of Skullform Blue, or C, Commanding Conquer? These are chain decks. Two of these, 90% of chain runs. One of them, they do not. Uh, C, Command and Conquer. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> that is correct. Command and Conquer is like 86% of decks are running Command and Conquer, but not 90%, according to these numbers. All right, we have a tie game. This is the most exciting thing ever. I couldn't have scripted it better myself. <laughs> so we have a tiebreaker final question here, okay? It is a single question that I'm going to give to both of you at the same time. You're going to internalize, write down, text your wife, whatever you need to do with your answer so you have it saved somewhere. And then we will blurt it out at the same time. You guys got that? Real sports moment. I'm ready. Yeah, totally. This is what the people are here for is, the, is these moments. Okay. Tiebreaker final question. Which card in Flesh and Blood has the most flavor text? Take your time. Think about it. Try not to listen to what I'm saying while I fill time while you think. Most flavor text. Which card in Flesh and Blood has the most? Yeah. So, it would homage. be great if I ever looked at the at the uh, flavor text. My guess is going to be staunch response. Okay. Tyler goes with staunch response. Isaac, do you have a guess? We were supposed to blur them out all at the same time, but that's fine. Isaac yeah, got I a free have, half I point have... to get to here anyway, so it's fine. It's... Uh... Oh, uh, Brutal Assault. Oh, very close. It is actually a brand new card, so that's maybe why it's tricky. It is Critical Strike. Oh. Mm -hmm. Critical Strike has the most flavor text. Boom. 
There you go. You guys are both winners. Thank you for participating in By the Numbers. Great job, Tyler. Great job, Isaac. Of, uh, middle of that flavor text. Oh, he's got Critical uh, Strike right there. For the nice. listeners at home, he has it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Thank you for participating. Now let's get into some nitty-gritty. Isaac, how about you take it off? Take it off. Here, and let's talk some real flesh and blood stuff. All right. Uh, well, I did have one kind of kind of related question, but I was just wondering, as a teacher, you go to a lot of competitive events, right? Is it uh, kind of difficult to make the, or do you just get like the red eye on Friday? Is it easy to get time off? I mean, how did that? How does that line up? It was. It's not easy to get time off. Um, so uh, I would say that most of. I would say the overwhelming majority of my time was taking that that red eye, sometimes the events like lined up where it was like, oh, we have Friday off anyway, and I get to go up on Thursday. But especially Pro Tour was uh, a hassle. I had to do some favors for that one. But um, oh. yeah, most of the time it's, I am struggling to get the time off. And in even the time to practice uh, can be troublesome from time to time. So um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that. Gotcha. Um. Okay, so I'll, I'll just bring us into our first uh, main topic here. Um, so we have a pretty wide open brand new meta, right? Like a new set dropped and the top or two out of the top three decks uh, achieved Living Legend and will be banned. So I was kind of wondering, right? Like there's a lot of ways to approach a new meta. You can start with uh, a deck that's really strong, like AKA Prism at the moment and uh, figure out how it plays into, you know, old heroes that will adjust, new heroes in theory. Um, you can tackle each new hero and try to break them and then work your way back. Um, so what? how do you look at uh, this pretty open field, also with, you know, relatively limited time before, for example, Road to Nationals? Yeah, so... I'm going to be working on the new heroes because I consider the old heroes somewhat solved on the main way to play the deck or the best way to play the deck. Now that isn't to say that I can't go back and, um, you know, retune prism or whatever. Um, and obviously I'm looking at decks that got new cards. So for example, Lexi got a bunch of new toys to play with. Um, so that I consider like a new deck, um, even old him to a lesser extent got a bunch of the ice cards. So, um, my, my initial goal is going to be to try to build the best version of the, the newest, newest heroes and the best versions of the, like, is there anything I can do with the decks that got new cards? Um, and then I will play them against the decks that are already established. So I'll, you know, I'll take drum eye and, and run it up against uh, a prism deck, something I've already done at least once. Um, and by doing that, I'm hoping to find the best build. I'm not necessarily trying to find the best 80 cards. I'm trying to find the best 60 cards, the best um, like initial plan for the deck, because I don't even think that's known information right now, right? Like what is the best, like Icelander might be a little more known because it was in Blitz, but Dromai and, and Fi, these are completely new strategies. So finding the initial 60 cards that you want to play um, in, into most of your matchups is going to be puzzle piece number one. And then after that, it's going to be, you know, 
okay, what are its bad matchups? Can we fix that with the sideboard? Or is there another strategy that we can play? And then it's like 20 and 20 cards and we're putting these 20 cards in for this or whatever. And so that's my general strategy um, when I'm building decks and my general strategy when I'm trying to tune them as well. Nice. Yeah, I I would agree with a lot of that sentiment with the new heroes and stuff. Uh, I've been really trying to crack Icelander and it is uh, r- mixed results, but I just went back and like looked through like my initial lists that I was playing with and I'm like, oh, I've made so much progress like already like, oh, of course that that's gone because that was like, you know, horse shit or whatever uh and and not correct and now we're like we're getting to the phase where we're coming back on like some cards that i was like i think this is good and then you like they're bad because you're not sure what the real play pattern is how they fit in you know and then you're like oh now i understand it more maybe we put these back in and see if they're they're any better you know so yeah i totally totally feel that um i have a bit of a follow-up i don't know if this is too uh abstract but taylor and i have talked about this before right so we kind of approach uh like i guess deck building quite a bit differently right like i will so with dromai right i'm i'm gonna make like a pretty red line aggro version i'm gonna try to play it control i'm just gonna like slap list together and like play them and kind of see what i feel like really synergizes or is powerful or works um taylor's a bit more of the uh uh like recorded incremental changes to you know like measure um the effects of adding or subtracting cards you can interject taylor if i'm off base here but no um, you're totally it's data driven uh you know right uh decisions yeah right take a list change three cards or six or whatever and you know like uh work it that way which i will do after i've found what i you know what I prefer with the hero, but it's a lot, I don't know, I guess looser in the beginning. So how do you approach like, like when you're tackling, you know, Dromai or Phi, for example, coming up here, you know, what are you, what are you looking to do? Yeah. So I'd say I start off uh, where Isaac starts and then I end up where Taylor is. Um, And so, and I would, I would say I'm a little bit different. Um, I like to try to identify synergies before I start building the decks. So I'll I'll just theory craft and look at the cards before I put anything together. Like I'm not getting close to 60 without being like, for example, oh, um, you know, Okanol is the most powerful card. I need to be playing the best Earth and Ice cards, for example. And this is the basis of my strategy. Or when I'm playing Prism Fatigue, you know, I want to... Uh, be able to present threats if they do nothing, but um, otherwise I want to be defending with block threes and block fours, for example. Um, so I want to come up with a general theme for a deck, whether it's based on two cards or a general idea, and then I try to make everything else fit that idea. And then once I get to that, then I've built, then I'm building my sixty card deck. Um, then I'm going, and now I've, now I'm going to where. Um, Taylor is, and I'm going to be doing a lot of testing. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be calling friends up on the phone, be like, hey, or on the phone. Who do I call on the phone anymore? Maybe messaging, <laughs> <laughs> maybe messaging people, being like, hey, let's get on TTS, let's go to the shop, let's play. Um, what do you guys think of this? Um, and uh, you know, I have 
I, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to now have like a pro tour testing group that I used for um, New Jersey. And it'll be a little bit different because not all of those players are going to France. But, um, you know, I have that to rely on. I have my initial testing team, my main my main um, guys that I test with. And um, I can always run past, you know, these things for through multiple people. And I have multiple people to play against. And I'm, I'll be doing those incremental changes where I'm like, well, that card didn't work. Let's throw that out and try something else. Or maybe the whole strategy is kind of falling apart versus this, and I need some some backup cards to help me. And that that's that's my um, always been my mo on on deck building is um, even in limited, I'm looking for synergistic ideas rather than and then go from there rather than um, rather than just kind of throwing the sixty together and being like, well, this and this worked, or or doing the incremental changes. Right, build build decks, not just put cards in yeah. a deck yeah not yeah. saying that yeah not saying that everybody else just throws decks together or that you guys throw decks i'm just saying that like i have to have that initial spark of an idea and then i have i have to have everything revolve around that idea or for me it just doesn't work i'm i'm not a deck build like it doesn't like my mind just doesn't work that way for some reason yeah i totally get that like uh <clears throat> i think my best example of how that went awry was when tails uh dropped and i was like oh uh blossoming spellblade this card is crazy this is so cool i'm gonna build like a whole deck idea around it and uh i spent like too much time i think at the beginning of that meta be trying to figure that that card out and make it good you know and uh it uh, just never got there you know I think uh, I think what you said there was exactly where I would have stopped. Is um, you know you you you're like I tried to make the card work right. Yeah, um, yeah. I won't spend that much time on any one deck idea if I can't make the card work very quickly. Within like I can usually play one or two games and I'll give up on an idea rather quickly if it's if I feel like the card isn't working you know what i mean so um it, it would have to show me some extra powerful things in not a magical christmas land type of scenario for me <laughs> right. to continue playing it yeah yeah totally. i was uh i had stuck to the uh uh the death dealer lightning flock lexi dream a little bit too long because <laughs> it's like so powerful and it obliterates prism and it's just awesome but then you play real games and you get like cnc'd once or you know like anything <laughs> happens and then you or you know like viscerai has a bunch of armor you know whatever and it's just like i don't know <laughs> i like couldn't let it go <laughs> but then i played in a couple of pro quests and went like three and three and was like all right i have to i have to move on to something else yeah i, I spent speaking of decks i spent way too much time on for pro tour i spent close to 150 games on a lightning death dealer list. And I had about three or four people saying they were going to play it uh, before it started falling apart. So um, we, we all back pocket. I think there's, there's probably like a group of us that we don't like, we all don't know that we're around the world that we're like, yeah, we have this lightning deck left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Death dealer list yeah, yeah. For, for some tournament down the line. Nobody totally. knows how, how cool this deck is. You drop yeah. it. It's like lightning briar, but with Lexi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So funny. 
Oh, um, had many many chats with Isaac and friend of the show Yuki and friend of the show perhaps your friend Zane Johnson as well about that list and stuff. Uh, hilarious. I remember playing it one time and was like, "What the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> I just get C and C'd and fucking lose. This is bullshit." <laughs> I'm so bad. Yeah, yeah. Me and yeah, Zane spent, uh, I had Zane, Zane was one of the three or four that was definitely on the train for a bit, and he had <laughs> his own version, and I had my own version, we're like, oh. yeah, this is great, and uh, <laughs> then about two or three weeks from Pro Tour, we're like, uh, are you getting the middling results that we're getting now that people have tuned their life? That's great. funny you mentioned that, because isn't that weird how that, it's like, you can get lists dialed, and there's like, definitely a superior list in general but then you'll have really good players who just disagree on like you know two to six cards or whatever and it doesn't change the deck that much but it's like the way you pilot it the cards you want in it are better because you're like incapable of just adapting and like making a different decision in that line every time i don't know why that is but it's like you know people run the same chain list but then they'll have like three cards different and they'll both do really well throughout, you know, the year or whatever. But it's like, it's funny that even the top players, you know, get like pretty stuck on like a certain, certain gameplay decision or a certain card sometimes. I just think it's funny that that kind of very human nature thing still persists. Yeah, I'm not sure um, that like for, I think what you said about play patterns, like if this might work for somebody and this might work for somebody and they both have different styles of playing, but, and it's like, okay, this person has like six cards different, which should be like a huge, that's like 10% of your deck. But, um, over the course, they have similar results and the percentage points when you break it down might not be that much because their play patterns dictated that they should play that card. Um, I can come up with one example from lightning. Lexi in particular is that we had this guy, uh, Peter, um because me and Zane both agreed that we should be playing some number of ice cards in our in our lightning lists um specifically like winter's fight and things like that um and he took it a step further and was like no we should be playing frost lock with only like six or nine ice cards <laughs> and we all just like completely dismissed it but he was winning he was smashing people that didn't see it coming um yeah. and we're we just never gave him the time of day on on that <laughs> so um it's just interesting definitely how you how you say how it works out yeah because it's like you're um like however you like you'll do this in testing right and you'll 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 be in the in the the testing dungeon and playing against your team and then you'll go out into the wild and you'll be playing the exact same matchup you've been testing and and you'll sit across from your opponent and they'll make a play or play a card that hasn't been in the list you've been testing against you know and you'll be like oh well, that changes my decision tree now, you know, and then that kind of, you know, can spiral uh, either good or bad into like the the rest of the game, you know. Um, and so like those additions or subtractions in decks, like, you know, that's what, you know, potentially the real world situation is, is that you're up against a, a deck that's running cards you haven't seen before. Like at the most recent road to Nats, I played against a Viserai who played red captain's call, played two of them in one turn. And I was like, what is, what is happening right now? And he just like high rolled me off the table with his 
red captain's call viscerai deck <laughs> and i was like god dang it this is where we're at in this freaking starvo meta is we just got to play <laughs> the cards with the biggest upside even if they like fall flat sometimes like all right here we go absolutely um, um so tyler uh let's so what do you think is the best deck moving into the uprising meta is it prism or is it briar because i feel like people are going going back and forth and as you as an authority on prism give us your authority take <laughs> or whatever <laughs> my, my authority take <laughs> um i will say that the last time i tried to call the meta i did a twitter space with like Tarek and matt rogers um go right when star are uh they made the decision about the you know autumn's touch restrictions and things like that and we're like all of us were on board that Prism was not going to be a thing because aggro decks were unlocked versus Starvo. And then we all went back into our testing dungeons and realized that Casino Starvo was still fine versus aggro decks and that that was still going to gatekeep aggro decks. And so Prism was fine. Prism had a space in the meta. Um, so as, you know, as, as an authority, I wouldn't say I'm the authority on Prism. There's a lot of good other play there's a lot of other players out there who are really good, you know, Fino Black and um, others who just like consistently play Prism to great results. Um, I would say that Prism has always been an anti-meta deck. And by that I mean that like it needs I mean I, everything is an anti-meta deck to a degree. What I vision right now is that there's this cycle. There's aggro decks, you have your Briar decks, maybe Phi, Katsu, things like that. These are decks that can go again multiple times and go wide um, or like hit you a lot. They don't have a lot of other things outside of the damage they do. They're not presenting on hit triggers or disruption that much of any kind. They might throw a command and conquer in there, but they're mostly aggro decks. These decks are generally beat up on by the, the disruption decks. So these are your ice decks. So like Lexi and now Icelander kind of fill that role. Starbo kind of filled this role. It was like kind of a tweener aggro plus disruption deck which made it so strong but the disruption decks mostly beat up on the the uh aggro decks and then um generally uh prism the illusionist the board state decks and now dromai are going to beat up on your disruption decks and then the aggro decks beat up on the board state decks because they can go again go again and then kill your board state um the one thing that throws a wrench in this is going to be um the fatigue decks the old you know your old and your guardian decks they fill the same kind of role, in my opinion, that um, the disruption decks do. Is that they're trying to, you know, block out the aggro decks, and they've been successful with it so far. But those decks also generally seem to beat the disruption decks as well, which has made the disruption decks like Ice Lexi not that great, unless Guardian is like completely removed from the picture, which is what happened at Nationals, right? Like there wasn't, there was like maybe a couple of Bravo players, but they were getting beat up on pretty hard um and then um uh, so that's the general cycle that i see so as far as like what the best deck is it's gonna it's always gonna be like if this is the best deck then these decks can get played to counter it um and then sometimes you get decks that are too powerful so if briar and phi end up being too powerful for like the disruption decks or the guardian decks to and they made it get like 50 50 and it's mostly going to be aggro decks then i don't see a place for prism or dromai but if, you know, Oldham and Lexi and Icelander end up being, you know, the quote-unquote best decks, and they're really good into the aggro decks, um, and they have some game versus, you know, Prism, then 
Prism and Drome I have their their spots. And that's generally how it should be, right? Like a rock, paper, scissors type of meta call. Right now I see Prism as still being the strong, you know, the strongest deck going into this because I don't think that Briar and I don't think that Fi can um, match up with Oldham. I think Oldham is going to be too powerful into everything that's going on. As I said, Oldham's going to be powerful into Icelexi. It's going to be powerful into aggro decks. The one problem is going to be these illusionist decks. And so I, I don't, I, when you're in that kind of a meta, you have your, you know, tier one choice, and then you have your choice that beats that because all of the other decks have been pushed out. Um, and so that's where, that's where, if I had to make my choice right now of like, okay, this is going to be what the, the meta is going to be. It's going to be that it's going to be all them is the best deck right now. And that, uh, the illusionist decks are going to be there to counter it. Um, I guess the thing that can throw the wrench in there is the, you know, you can beat you, you can then tune your, your decks to try to beat that. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see like five beating Oldham. I don't see a world where that happens. Okay. So in this scenario, right, because we're living in a real world scenario right now, um, and you're talking about this rock, <laughs> paper, scissors, um, you know, uh, format, mm-hmm. right? So say you first, I mean, I would ask like, how do you choose? But maybe that's a bit too, too much. But say you also, you, I mean, say you land on prism now, right? Because you think that ice and control will beat out Phi in the aggro decks, right? So then prism has pretty good game into a lot of things and then we'll have good game into, you know, control and ice, right? So that's a good pick. So when you pick prism, um, how do you, I don't know, like, how do you shore up those bad matchups, right? Like, to me, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's kind of doable, but so, like right now, um, I've been working on Dromai a bit, and um, the Phi matchup, it seems, I've only played it twice so far, but I didn't even know where to begin making it better, right? <laughs> so, um, I don't know, like, do you do you tackle... Do you just try to tackle your bad matchups and fix it? Or like, when do you know that it's not, uh, you know, when do you just like dismiss a matchup or is that not ever? Oh no, I, I, I have, I dismissed matchup even in a pro tour. Uh, so I, I dismissed the Briar matchup with my prism deck as unwinnable, like not unwinnable, but like I accepted that I was only going to win about 25 to 30% of the time into Briar if when played optimally. Um, now you saw me on camera destroy <laughs> a Briar player, um, but uh, you know I I still consider that in the small sliver of I'm not going to win most of the time, and I accepted that that this was the best my best percentage play was to just play um, defense reactions and my aura plan into them, and then try to overwhelm them with auras and hope they had a couple offhand so they couldn't kill me quick enough. Which again, in testing was only happening maybe one out of four games. So um, in that matchup, I couldn't theorize another way to beat them given the tools that Prism had, but I also didn't expect there to be a lot of Briar. So I thought it was a good choice, but into Briar, I was ready to eat my 25% matchup because I I expected it to be one out of my, um, you know, however rounds. And that's actually how it turned out is I played Katsu once, I played Briar once, and then I didn't see them again for the rest of the tournament. Um, whereas I did play against Starvo four times I played against chain eight times. And those were the matches <laughs> I expected to see not eight times. I think it was like six times. 
Um, but so one, if you don't expect to see the deck a lot, then it's okay to be like, this isn't worth the sideboard slots. Um, the other thing is some, some decks just don't have the tools to beat other decks and that's okay. Then you have, but if you expect to see a lot, then it might be time to move on to another deck. Um, so, you know, for example, when it came to nationals and I expected to see Briar running rampant, um, I did not think that Prism was, was the deck. So I went with the Briar deck instead. I made the audible, right? Um, so those are the two situations that you have to, you, you're either going to have to, you either have to fix it, you have to um, accept it and plan that that's not going to be a big part of your tournament, or you have to get off the deck entirely. Those are your three options. And I've, you know, I've, I've done all three. Um, you know, people said that Prism, pr people have always said that Prism is bad in a chain. And now twice now I have destroyed chain using the fatigue strategy. Um, <laughs> once in Vegas. And then again, at pro tour, I went, I went five and one into chain. So, um, it's, you have to identify what situation you're in and then plan accordingly. And, um, that's about the most advice I could give you because it's going to be up to each individual person to identify the metagame, right? Like I can't, I, I got the metagame wrong. I get the metagame wrong all the time. Um, the people that do well are the ones that get it right. And then, you know, continually right. And yes, I've been fortunate enough to get it right most of the time, but even I'm going to get it wrong, you know, a decent amount. So um, identify the metagame, plan accordingly with one of those three options. I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on the idea of a rock, paper, scissors meta. So I think, I can't remember who was talking about this. Either it was either maybe a Tarek Twitter space or uh, Arsenal pass maybe with Tarek is maybe why I can't remember which one it was, but they were kind of going back and forth about the idea of rock, paper, scissors and whether or not that is where the game is healthiest, where you have like 90 tens and this deck beats that deck, that deck beats that deck and that beat deck. And then the other deck beats the deck that beats that deck. Or is it like maybe better if we're at like 60, 40 and like the cards you choose for your sideboard really matter in how you attack your, like when you're the 40 into the 60, um, I think me and Isaac, maybe not on the pod, but certainly, uh, off air in, uh, the hang zone, uh, that we dwell in sometimes, um, have talked about how maybe we like a metagame that where the best decks are like 60, 40 into everybody. And then, so now what cards I take in or out matter a lot more. And that's maybe a little bit more interesting for us or more our, our flavor. And so like, so what's your take on that whole kind of large topic there that I laid before you? Yeah, I remember hearing it too, and I don't blame you. Tarek's on everything these days, so I'm just going to assume that <laughs> he was he was in on it. Um, no, I uh, I will say that there, this is two different ways of playing a game, right? You can either have a game where you know maybe there's like one or two best, like everything's in that sixty forty range, so you can kind of like play your deck, and then everyone has the sideboard cards to like handle everything, I guess. Um, 
or you can play a game where you're playing a game before you go right you like you right. you have um you can gain a lot of percentage points by by um having the deck and what i want to say on this is a lot of people point to like olden versus prism as like the, the poster child for um the problem right like oh olden can't beat uh prism and i think i think i heard this on you know whatever it was that we heard this on but uh I want to say it was Ars. I'm almost certain it was Arsenal Pass, um, but I want to say that like the deck can these decks can be built differently, right? You don't mm. have to accept a 90-10 matchup into Prism. You could just build your deck differently. And I want to like we did this in um, there's a team league that um, it's like Fab Team League or something like that that a lot of the the higher level players play. And for one of the weeks. Um, you actually got to know your opponent's deck, right? And so we had a Bravo main that only played Bravo and that was it. And he knew that he was getting paired in Prism, which is like, you know, one of the, again, one of the poster childs, maybe not as bad as Oldham, but it's like, oh, Bravo's generally going to lose this matchup. Right. And, but he was licking his chops because he knew he was playing Prism and he knew that the Prism player had no, there was no way that if he, if he could build his deck um, in such a way just to beat that deck, there was no way that the prison player could win because the prison player didn't have the tools to fight back. And so, and that's exactly how it played on out on paper um, is that uh, he just played, you know, lead the charges and, um, and enough fun phantasm poppers and then just go again cards. And he, he was kind of foregoing the, a lot of the big attacks and he just crushed them. So like, just because um Oldham into Prism as it's currently constructed is a 90-10 matchup doesn't mean that it always has to be. And so I want to get that off the, you know, off the doorstep right off the back is that I think a lot of people just don't talk, don't, don't go to the next step, which is like, okay, maybe I should change my deck rather than the deck as currently constructed has a bad matchup into Prism. Like, well, yeah, obviously it does. Right. Um, like people are, are going off of the deck onto the other deck that just like does the thing that counters it better. Um, okay. right. Is what you're saying rather than just like changing their deck. So then if that's the case, then, then what's the advantage of changing your deck? If you're like kind of going away from like the inherent power that your hero like gives you. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, there's still like ways to build Oldham. Say that you wanted to be like good into Prism, and then you wanted to be good into Aggro decks. I think there's a way that you could build the deck to to do that. But I'm not sure that you could build the deck to be like good into Prism, good into Aggro, and then also good into like Dash, for example, or something like that, right? And um, you might be giving up some percentage points on Aggro, but that's I think that's that's where I would get into. I actually like that style of play that you can you can build your deck in such a way to go this way or that way, or maybe, maybe like you said, you need to get off the deck entirely. And um, because the, the power is just not like, you're not using your hero power anymore. And I, I personally like that style of play where, cause um, I mean, think about the viewing experience, right? If you're like tuning in to watch a flesh and blood tournament, you're not going to want to tune in if everybody's playing the same two decks and it, yeah, sure. Any player can win and any right. player can lose. Um, but you're not, you're tuning in for the excitement of the deck building for, I would say for the overwhelming majority of people, they want to see what people are playing. Right. And if you already know what people, the people, everyone's going to be playing these two decks, then, um, I think that turns off a lot of the viewership and a lot of the fun. Um, 
on the other hand, it also isn't fun bringing an Oldham deck into a Prism, you know, a competitive Prism tournament, and everyone's playing Prism, and you're just sitting there with your Oldham deck as currently constructed. I get, I get that, but um, when you're playing competitive TCGs, I think you need to accept the ine- inevitability that you're going to make a wrong decision here or there. Right. Um, so that's 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 where I lie on it. I'm coming at it from a competitive standpoint, and I get that's going to be different than someone who's playing at an armory or something like that and gets the same experience. So, um, yeah, that's oh, why no. we're we're a highly competitive podcast. We have like <laughs> top eight nationals, Prince of Precision over here sitting next to us. So, <laughs> dude, we're the you know top 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 doggies. Yeah, how, how does it feel to be the only player that didn't top eight that nationals? Because <laughs> I also top uh, eight not great, not great. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Well, it didn't go. It's, so it's a freaking yeah, no, goddamn no. teacher life, man. They just freaking they hate teachers and their scheduling, and it's so mm-hmm. hard to get time off of work. That's um, what I'm I, I think you did make a make a really good point about because I, I feel like sometimes when a meta gets kind of stale you just start, everybody starts working off of the top list, which is like the correct thing to do, right? Because it's the most powerful list in the meta. But then like you said, if, you know, there's too many prisms, you just like kind of auto go to like, oh yeah, old him's terrible into prism. And, you know, maybe it is no matter how well you build it, but going from like 10 to 40 is, you know, quite a lot of percentage points. If the meta shifts enough to allow for somebody to get creative and, uh, you know, um, reinvent their deck a bit um oh go ahead yeah one thing on that real quick is that going back to last meta is so you have a lot of people who complain about like 1910 matchups and then you have the same people complaining about the the meta that would just was right the starvo meta and i think that you're now on opposite ends of the spectrum right because if you like the rock paper scissors um then you hated the last meta because the problem with the last meta is that starvo was no, no deck was even above 60% into it. Even me bringing my Prism deck, I'm like, yeah, I got my 60% matchup into Starvo. And that's why Starvo was so powerful. It was that it was good into everything. So if, if you enjoy having 60-40 matchups into everything, then maybe maybe you enjoyed the last meta. But um, it's weird how we have, you know, complaints on two ends of the spectrum. And, you know, I, I it's it's a lot. It's hard to make a card game, let's be honest. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't be there. I, I'm happy that I'm on the playing side, um, but I much prefer, you know, the rock, paper, scissors formats to the, this deck is sort of unbeatable format. Oh yeah. I actually quite enjoyed the last format. I didn't like Starvo design wise. Um, I didn't like playing against it casually. You know, I like had a lot of issues with that, but um, I did like that, you know, like I could bring Lexi to a pro quest. And I could actually like compete against most, you know, I'd like still don't love the prison matchup. That kind of sucks, but you know, it's like fun that you can actually play instead of just a super polarized um, or, you know, top deck. So uh, I guess there were a lot of silver linings to the last meta, despite how much we all complained about it. (laughs) Sure. Kano being another one. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I and it shows, I think, Tyler, how you kind of answered uh, this question that you're like a top level player because it's it's in the same vein of what a lot what we hear, at least publicly from other players who are uh, very good at flesh and blood is kind of like 
being willing to say, well, yeah, this is kind of what everybody says, but I think I can like make a change with what everybody is saying and uh, do something a little bit different and find success through that, right? Is like taking, like really taking a step back and saying like, well, just because everybody says it's this way doesn't mean it has to be that way, right? Um, and, uh, you know, that's how you can keep your edge is when you like, I think anyway, that you like make sure you know things, you know, like for the reason that you know them because you have like broke it down and thought about it yourself rather than just like taking what everybody has to say as like gospel, right? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you get things, uh, especially if you're plugged into like flesh and blood, uh, Twitter at all, like you get people going off the deep ends on all sorts of things. And then you have a lot of people that are actually bringing up good points, you know, like, um, I know a big one that, that, uh, Tarek brings up a lot is prizing at LGSs or something that, I, you know, I think I'm going to start bringing up more, you know, um, sooner is like how the fab elo is not updating there's like a lot of actual gripes to be had you know right. another one being tournaments aren't getting announced on time there's a lot of stuff that is actually like needs to be said out there but then you know you get these things that are like really guys you know um just think about it for a little bit longer and maybe you you would realize that that's not actually a problem and but i'm not saying that it isn't for everybody right like for some people, maybe they really just don't like rock, paper, scissors types of formats or expounding upon that. Um, and that's okay, too. It's okay to have that opinion, but it's just, it's not my opinion. So, um, I wanted to ask you about, so um, I was really impressed. I mean, like you won Vegas, which was like a 900 person event or whatever, which is <laughs> extremely impressive. But I was really impressed by you as a player when um you top aided us nationals uh with lightning briar right but running a deck like how long had you been on that deck um so it was on our radar that the deck was going to be a thing slightly before um english nationals so um obviously everybody knows that matthew folks kind of ran over that tournament there and mm -hmm. that's when it kind of like got out but we had heard rumblings about the deck us being like my little group of testers right, right. um that uh that oh a cheer this, this like zero cost lightning briar deck is is going to be a thing so we had started looking into the deck um and so you'll notice actually that like our deck list is actually a decent amount different right if you go back and look we had like flicker wisp in the deck which is why i guessed it earlier yeah um, rights of lightning also rights of lightning yeah. yeah and so we were going at it at a little bit different way um and so, but I hadn't been on it for much longer than that. So obviously I had kind of picked up the deck in maybe a week and a half, two weeks, and then put it into practice there. Sure. But I mean, so like three or four weeks starting from scratch on a deck um, into all your matchups, including the mirror, you know, is like asking quite a lot. And, um, but you, you know, you did it, you adapted well and you top aided, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, just, I guess, very adaptable use that word again <laughs> i think you what you have to realize is that like every everybody else is in the same boat right like everybody else had to do the same exact thing i just did it slightly better um 
I think, for example, it was really easy to identify the good Briar players because um, I think I played maybe eight Briar mirrors that weekend or something like that. You know, something insane. Like I, it was just an insane amount of Briar mirrors, and I was winning most of them. And I was everyone kept I kept losing the dice rolls, and they kept wanting to go first. And I I was like, thank thank you, I want to go second. Um, until I hit Tarek in that um, in the match before. It was the last match of Swiss. We were both locked for top eight already. And I was my mind was kind of off of that game anyway. And I got smashed. But he was the first Briar player to actually decide to go second um, against me. And so that was the first time I identified. I'm like, oh, some you know, somebody has actually played this matchup quite a bit and has realized that like you can just block the first turn and then start playing. You get to the first real turn. So um that yeah, I I'd, I'd say that. I, I wouldn't say that I'm like the most adaptable person, but I was adaptable enough for that for that weekend. Still lost to Isaac too. I did. Uh, <laughs> man, Just, you know, nice. oh, in case back. the people forgot at home. Yeah, you know. that was. Uh, I still. We have a thing as really competitive flesh and blood players, and you guys will have to tell me if this is you if this is true for you guys too. Is that I remember very little about winning Vegas, for example, if, if I want to remember something that actually happened in the game, other than like judge calls or something like that, I actually have to go back and like watch those matchups. But um, in big high profile matches that I've lost, I can remember very, very vividly every single play. And so um, something that I take with me actually as um, like something where I'm like, I can always play more. And this is an example of this is my, my matchup versus Isaac is um, we were going into the last, I think it was the last, it was the exact last turn of the game because I died that turn. Um, I was like, I couldn't think of a card that he could have in his hand that could beat me. Um, and that's because I hadn't played against Lexi a lot. And um, so what ended up happening is he ended up Bolton shotting me and he has one card left in with like, I think two resources remaining. And, and I ended up blocking floating. and one floating and I ended up Yeah, so if I reload, you want to block the reload. Because yep. with one floating, I could reload an arrow and fire it. Yep. And then the last card ended up being Endless Arrows. And I just wasn't thinking about it at the time because it wasn't like the big Lexi card at the time. Or like I wasn't thinking about Lexi. And I ended up dying to you just bolt tearing in the Endless Arrow. And then Bullseye Bracer using the Endless Arrow. So if I had just let the bolt in <laughs> shot hit, then I, I probably would have won that game. But um, because, you know, because I didn't spend the time on that particular matchup. So I always take that with me as... Um, you know, as something, as one of my losses that I learned a lot from, um, not only because of the endless arrows, but because it's like something that I use is like, okay, you can always spend more time on matchups because what if you don't think about endless arrows in the future? Not, you know, again, not that particular card, but some card from some other deck, right? right. And so um, you guys will have to tell me if, if that's something that is true for you guys, that you guys don't think about the wins as much and think much more. Oh, about. yeah. I remember oh, you were running sure. Skeleta, which is just more armor and more agony for me. <laughs> but what... what What'll really get you though is like when you start thinking about like I think that you made the right decision statistically. It just lost you that particular turn, right? But approach with the same right, because odds are I have a one cost arrow is my other card. So mm -hmm. then if you let the Bolton shot hit, then I reload it and fire it. So you prevented that from happening. It was like only endless error, right? So you know, anyway, this like kind of thing comes up a lot where or at least for me, where I'll like lose a game and then I'll think about the decision tree and I'm like, is this, 
did I make the wrong play or statistically did I make the right play? And I don't know. That kind of like well, drives it it's, a bit. <laughs> it's it's also hard to write like uh it's the same thing when I'm coaching like basketball. It's it's like uh so we in our uh state playoff game we lost by three points. Um and I got really mad at my team at the end of first quarter because we let the other team kind of get past half court and heave up like a, a buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter, you know, from like 35 feet and they made it right. And we lost by three. And if we had done a better job, like defending that particular play, maybe we go into overtime, maybe we win, etc. you know? Um, but one of my great uh, mentors was at that game and, you know, I kind of mentioned that to him and he was like, well, you know, it's like, it's a one possession game that you lost, but this is the hard part about basketball is you're not sure which possession it is, you know? So it's like the same thing. Like, yeah, you lose to Isaac on that final play, but there's, you know, a bunch of other turns leading up before that. And maybe you actually did like leak a damage elsewhere in that game that maybe you shouldn't have, you know? And, and so that's like, also the maddening part is you're like, well, I know specifically right here, but if I can't remember all of the game as vividly as that last moment, like maybe there was another decision tree later that plays out, you know, uh, you know, quantum theory throughout the game or, or, or whatever. But my, my other little bit here is yes, I remember very vividly all of my losses all of the time, very painfully, especially like I lost to um, a uh, fatigue prism for like the first time in a million years on chain in Vegas. And I was just like, just so upset. I mean, he, he triple arc light sentled me like three out of four turns near the end of the game. And I was like, like tilting off the face of the earth. Um, but I cannot forget that game, you know, can't forget it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's true of, I think that's true of a lot of competitive players. It's my theory. And that's why I wanted to ask and just kind of verify that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a healthy mindset to be in. I wish I remembered like more plays in my winning matchups, you know, when I just like win, (laughs) you know what I (laughs) mean? Like it would be great if I could remember that more as well for my mental health. Yeah, I think for all of us, that would be great. <laughs> Someone come help us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you did you guys, uh, sorry to not, Isaac, do you have more to say? I kind of want to talk about limited before we get out of here, if possible. Yeah, totally. I was just going to mention that you brought up a really good point, like that we talked about in our tempo episode about how like every decision along the game leads to your, so you might lose because you made a decision when somebody's at 36 health and you're at 33 and you misplayed that play. And it didn't get you closer to your, you know, win condition or whatever. Right. And that for me is like really hard to, you know, analyze. Um, It's like hard to reflect back on a game. I mean, obviously if you misplayed, you'll remember that, but maybe if you just played sub optimally or towards the wrong strategy or whatever, then it gets like pretty tough to, uh, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a good way to, to break it down, to look back at your, uh, your games? Um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm super fortunate that I'm probably the most streamed player of, <laughs> on the planet. So, cause I've, I've literally been in, 
uh, every tournament I've been in, I've been on camera. Um, so it's always nice to go look. But I know that there's lots of games where I missed a tunic trigger. I blocked in an inefficient... I mean, going back to my Tarek top 8, uh, when I played against Tarek in the top 8, um, I think that was, again, a very winnable matchup for me. And I misplayed and I got outplayed and um, I lost that game. And uh, and I, you know, I, I think about these mistakes... Um, I think the healthy thing is not to dwell on them for too long. It's just to take what you can learn from them and then move on to trying to put that into practice. Um, but what I what I do think of is that for every mistake or you know two mistakes or three mistakes that I made in a game, there's probably three more that I didn't catch. And um, so I use that as motivation to like just really you know, hammer down on, okay, tunic every turn, I got to make sure I do that. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, what I end up doing is a lot of, I use a lot of shortcuts, you know, um, going back to teaching, you know, you teach kids like PEMDAS for order of operations, or you teach them these different things in their brains. Um, I try to associate things like going back to prism, you know, I try to associate like, oh, parables, like really good into Bolton, I should arsenal it and try to catch them with like a Vita Vanguard or something like that. And um, so I try to like shortcut things like that where I'm like, oh, this card is good into this matchup and just kind of have the reason somewhere in the back of my mind. Um, or, you know, uh, something that I took away from the Tarek matchup, for example, is that I blocked inefficiently where um, I had a chance to block. There was like a attack for two and I ended up blocking it with two of my armor pieces when I knew that the attack was going to continue on. And um, so I ended up blocking with two armor pieces that each had one on it. And then I ended up blocking with the, the two block on um, uh, blocking with the two, two, two blocks on a three block later, right? Where I could have blocked with the two block and then two plus armor and still had one on it, right? So um, I used that as just a lesson that like, oh, I should, if I knew the turn's going to keep on going, I should block two for two and then keep my myself flexible, even though, it, you know, usually you're taught to, block with your armor first if you're getting to the end of the game and yeah. so um i try to use that's like my main thing is using those shortcuts mm -hmm. to try to help myself and a lot of those learning experiences come from mistakes earlier on yeah you you can't just lose you have to learn exactly yep sweet great uh hard segue into limited <laughs> okay uh so again we're gonna have a dual format for leal nationals uh the road, road to nats road to nats yeah. our draft to uh what what is everybody's i mean and me and isaac actually haven't even talked about this on the pod yet uh about limited so let's all talk about uprising limited first takes isaac let's go to you first because tyler has been giving it to us pretty good my first takes on uprising limited yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I only played in one pre-release, um, and I won quite a lot with Phi. Um, <laughs> and I top-aided Nationals, and I won these things. Oh, were we not just talking about all of our accomplishments? I'm just time? talking about pre-release. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but just my initial impression, right? Is it is kind of rock, paper, scissorsy, right? Like Dromai beats Eastlander, Eastlander beats Phi, Phi beats Dromai. And that's very much how it feels when you play these heroes out in classic constructed 
as well as in limited. Um, but I do think it does feel like this, you know, it feels as well, you know, put together as well as, you know, Aria in the sense that like, you know, hopefully it's going to play out where it's like, okay, so five seems pretty strong. Right. But then if there's like four fives at the table, then like even the dromize are going to be able to beat them. Right. Or, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, it just, it does feel like it has a, you know, that amount of uh, depth to it or nuance to, um, you know, like an Aria, right? Like Lexi sucks until there's only one Lexi at the table, then it's awesome. So it, it kind of like kept ebbing and flowing the most popular archetype and everything was kind of viable until too many people were picking it. And uh, I really hope Uprising is the same way. I don't know if that's the hot take you wanted, but <laughs> that's more of a general I, don't, I just want whatever impression. Takes, whatever takes you got, baby, I'll take them. <laughs> what do you got, Tyler? Talk to me. Um, all right. So Sealed is, uh, you're mostly going to be opening up five decks just because the floor on that deck is um, decently high compared to the other two. Um, you're going to open up pools and you're going to be like, I only have five blues in my Icelander deck, unplayable. Um, so, but five seems to always be playable no matter no matter what. So um, if you've played a lot of pre-releases and you played, you know, the world premiere, you might have this notion that buy is like maybe overpowered or something like that. I've heard that from a lot of people. And I, I don't think that's going to be true when you get into draft. I mean, I've only done, I've only done the one, or sorry, I've done two drafts, one with, pack prizing and then one as part of the world premiere that was a draft on Sunday. And um, I think that's much more nuanced and people haven't, I think that you're going to find that, um, that the best players in the world are going to really rise to the top in this road to nationals. Like you're going to see a lot of big names that are doing well in draft. Um, not necessarily because, um, you know, like they're the greatest drafters of all time but because they're going to put in the time to realize that this is this is a really nuanced format in that um yes you have this circle that if you're just drafting the cards icelander is supposed to be dromai or sorry icelander is supposed to be phi uh phi is supposed to be dromai and dromai is supposed to be icelander but then you have all these generic cards in the mix and that's what i've started to figure out is that these generic cards are actually like a lot better than they initially looked um, especially the red, the, like the sideboard cards that are like phantasm poppers or like having arcane barrier in your deck is actually like going to be a big thing. And so there's a lot of these like little nuances that I think the people that pick up on those first are going to be the ones that, um, are going to do well at not only roads and nationals, but also the pro tour as well. Yeah, I, nice. I am like really surprised at how tight the design of this set feels like there doesn't feel like there's really any fluff, you know? So like, I think a, a card that I would say that maybe I thought was, uh, you know, kind of dog crap was brain freeze. I was like, this card freaking sucks. Isn't it is not good, but actually having played it now i'm like oh i get it it's like really uh serviceable as like just literally taking away a card you know what i mean like you just take away that zero cost card it could be their blue and then now they have like less resources and it's really hard to like quantify like 
how much damage that potentially saved you because then you still got to like kind of block out your turn or like, you know, play efficiently or whatever. But um, just the design from like the equipment that you can draft and like you said, how the generics function. Like I was so surprised at how much more serviceable all of those generics were um, that it just led me to believe that there's just like, well, there's just so much to explore still, obviously, like it's really, really early in the limited game meta, but the, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really good. And I think there will be a bit more like nuance than just like rock, paper, scissors happening because there are some like real key, like kind of hate cards and combos in the set that you could like wind up like drafting and that sort of thing and shoring up your like bad matchups you know like if you get oasis respite but no like arcane barrier like you're probably gonna be fine against uh icelander you know what i mean um so yeah i I really like a red trade-in because i thought that card was like so bad and i still think it's pretty bad but then when i was like playing limited i was like oh this is just one card to turn on go again for your aether wings right or it's like just the card I have to arsenal and fi and then it's another auto go again. You know, I was like, oh, this is like actually like, you know, has a lot of utility, even though it's, you know, not really good, but it's just like fills those roles really nicely. And uh just looking at the set beforehand, I was you you know, this is a bad card. So Yeah. Just wait till you get to the uh trade in to um discard one of your Phoenix Flames to get a new card and then still get your Phoenix Flame pack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like there's all these cool little combos uh that are really fun that like, you know, make the level of play like a bit uh, you know, you can see the high level play beginning to emerge or that, you know, the the inklings of it and whatnot. You know, so yeah, I think it's great. I'm like really excited. Me too. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about limited before we uh, move on to kind of the end of the show where we get to our signature segments? No, I'm just really excited for the limited format. I'm excited for constructed. That's That's about it. Do you feel confident in draft? I do. Um, I'm putting, I put in a lot of time already. I'm kind of on my like, I, I'm, I'm on a like small break because, you know, there's no, there's no cards. There's not going to be any products out because of the, the announcement that the shipments are going to be delayed. So um, I decided to use that for my mental time. And then um, right when Road to Nats, you know, right when that product's out, probably that Friday I'll be drafting. And then there's Road to Nats the next day for me. There's actually two two limited roads and nets back to back that weekend in SoCal, so I'm excited for that, and I feel like I'm going to have a, a leg up on the competition already. Nice. Watch out. <laughs> you oh. heard it here. His leg is up. <laughs> Tyler's coming for you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's get into signature segment. Speaking of limited. Tyler, we have a segment, uh, Pick, Pass, Pray. It's a draft scenario. I'm going to give you guys three cards. They're going to be from Uprising. You're going to pick one, pass one, and pray one comes back around. Does that make sense? Yes, I, and I'm, I'm familiar. Cool. Okay, so are you guys ready then? 
I am. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, Tyler, you get to go first because you are the guest. So the first card up we have is Invoke Kyloria, which is a draconic illusionist action invocation. It defends for three, pitches for one, costs one, and it says transform target Ashu control into Kyloria. Go again. And then the dragon itself that you then transform into attacks for four, has two health, and it says whenever Kyloria hits a hero, gain control of an item they control. If you don't gain control of an item this way, draw a card. Okay. Second card is Blaze Headlong, Draconic Attack Action. It attacks for four, defends for two, costs zero, and pitches for one because it is a red. And it reads, if you have played another red card this turn, Blaze Headlong has go again. The Volkai army of vigilantes, renegades, and outlaws is like a tinderbox looking for a spark. Okay? Okay. Third and final card is Spellfire Cloak. Wizard equipment chest defends for zero, but reads instant. Destroy Spellfire Cloak. Gain a resource. Activate this ability only during an opponent's turn. And it also has Arcane Barrier 1. So, Tyler... Which one are you going to pick, pass, and pray comes back around? So this is interesting because um, I don't think that Legend Story Studios has actually come out with the way that you're actually supposed to draft these, the double-sided cards, so the dragon in this right. case. Right. And um, so at if it was at the world premiere, you kind of just put it down, and that was the end of it. I don't know if you have to announce it or what. But I'm going to say that the dragon is not only the most powerful card here to take, but it's also um a signal to the other drafters at the table that hey i'm an illusionist you better stay stay away um and so that might that that is something that you can try to do um but i'm very fond of uh snatch dragon as we like to call it um at the table drawing cards is just too powerful effects and then i'm gonna oh so that's my pick i'm gonna uh i'm gonna pray that Blaze Headlong comes back because it's a Draconic card and not a Ninja card, so it can still be that um, go again. And you'd be surprised at how often Phoenix Flames just make it into your deck anyway. Uh, or sorry, this isn't the Phoenix Flame card. This is the um, this is the, if you've played another card, red card, you get go again. But um, you play a lot of red cards in there. You want more red cards, and this is just more damage on top of that. And so this is still really relevant in um, in Jeromai. And then uh, obviously we're gonna. We're going to pass on the, the Wizard Cloak, even though I think that's also a very powerful card. Nice. Isaac, what do you got? <laughs> I like the table flex. <laughs> um, they actually did announce, so at competitive events, packs will be opened ahead of time and dragons will be replaced by tokens. Um, oh. At casual events, you just set it down and you can put a token on top of your stack to start just to like keep things semi-hidden, you know? Um Okay, so I'm going to pick Blaze Headlong. This card is like pretty busted. It's just insanely powerful in either Draconic deck. Um, I'm going to... This is kind of a... I don't really care, but I'm going to play... I'm going to pray <laughs> the, the Wizard Cloak comes back around somehow because then I'm the only Easlander at the moment but also if snatch dragon comes back around also that's also awesome and i'm like 
the only dromai and have a head start on that. So that's kind of like, I guess I'll pray the dragon comes back because then Blaze Headlong functions in that deck as well. So you're going to pass on Spellfire Cloak? Uh, yeah, I would be ecstatic to see it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are all, all right. really good cards. Taylor, what uh, what do you got? Uh, so I'm going to pick Spellfire Cloak because if I wind up as Eastlander, I really, really want Spellfire Cloak because it's like, I really brings your deck from like, you know, maybe a C plus to uh, maybe even a B uh, because that ability is really strong. And then if you're in the mirror and they don't have a Spellfire Cloak, you're like way ahead. Um, so I think just making that my first pick in like a bit of assurance uh, is I think really important. And then I'm going to pray that Snatch Dragon comes back around uh, for all the reasons previously stated, like drawing a card, uh, it's cheap. It only costs one to invoke, and that's like way easier than uh, the other cards that like cost two or more to invoke. So that's like really nice. Um, and then I'm just gonna pass on Blaze Headlong. Like, I think there are better cards in that kind of slot that you can get elsewhere. Even though it is like really, really powerful, I think it's just when up against these other two cards is a little bit less. So those are my picks. Nice new all format. We all disagreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, we'll have to have you back on after the four weeks and have the same pick pass prey and see where we go, you know? <laughs> Uh, I have a feeling you guys will come over to my way of thinking. Oh. <laughs> oh, pish, pish, posh, poppy, gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. Over to you, Isaac, for game from the closet. Um, okay. Here at the attack action podcast, we love to play many games, not just flesh and blood. And sometimes we like to share one of those games with you in the hope that you will enjoy it as well. So this episode's board game from the closet is Tyler's game. Hey, so um, I picked uh, Sushi Go. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with this game, but it's a it's a drafting game, and um, this is I like playing this game like in between um, round, like you know, playing a round in between in between uh, flesh and blood rounds or whatever game I'm playing. Um, the idea is that like if you like playing limited, you like playing. Um, you know things like that then you then you love drafting games like i do and this is one of the best ones um not only because it's like a fun game but it's also like basic enough that you can explain the rules to somebody else um pretty quickly and i love games like that where it's like hey i can i can play with my flesh and blood friends who are like obviously big gamers or i can play with my family and uh and so sushi go for that reason is um is my game of the week this week hey. totally yeah, I love Sushi Go. I, it's like so great. Um, it is so much fun, and there's like a bit more depth to it, for sure. Do you pick sashimi early, hoping to see more, or are you just gonna get like no points because you picked sashimi? You know, what is the value of getting the chopsticks right now in pick three? You know, it's it's great. It's a it's a really great game, and I also appreciate games that are like. Uh, you can play with everybody, 
right? Everybody you can play them with. So yeah, it's really, really great. Excellent pick. Absolutely. Um, have you ever played uh, Inish? Have you ever played that board game? Okay. Uh, so, I have not. Yeah. So it is a, it has a draft mechanic, but it's like a dudes on the map type of thing. Uh, so it has like some tactical uh, area control elements to it, but you do a draft before every round of the game and you uh, the cards you're drafting are the actions you can take on your turn. So you're like drafting what your plan is going to be, but also like sending signals to everybody else what you're going to do and they can like counterpick the cards that are in the pool left over and stuff. It's it's great. It's also a really good game of drafting in it. If you say the word draft, it's like, that's all you have. This game has drafting in it. And I'm like, oh, I'm there. It's over. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. Uh, Well, Tyler, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on our show. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was really fun getting to know you and getting to talk to you about uh, Flesh and Blood and stuff. And I can't wait to hang out with you at the Battle Hardened LA. Get Get a beverage, get a get a food item all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, both of you guys. And, uh, it's been, it's been a blast. I'm sure that I talked probably a little too much, but you guys are just easy to talk to. Um, and, uh, keep up the good work with the podcast and I will see you guys in battle hard in LA. How exciting is that? <laughs> so cool. Tyler, do you have any, like, uh, any social media or uh, articles coming out you want to plug, feel free to uh, shill yourself out to our audience if you need to. Sure. Um, right now, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can catch me uh, at uh, pony underscore puddle. I'm trying to, you know, I got to buy the, uh, <laughs> I got to buy the the regular pony puddle off of, uh, off of the person that has it that has like one follower or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> or just change it in general. But um, that's where you can find me right now, at Pony underscore Puddle. And um, it, it takes a, it takes people a couple years to, to understand why that's my screen name. But I'll, uh, I'll leave that up to the imagination for now. <laughs> that's uh, That'll be the main. If you want to catch me, message me or anything like that, it's going to be the best way. Cool. Yeah, it's a great Twitter handle. It's it's right up there with, I think, Hayden Dale's at Fiendal. Dale. It's a good one. And Dale, yeah, it's really good. I unfortunately have no sort of play with anything in my name. So at battle bro Taylor, it is like a tool that I am, but whatever. I think it's great. Oh, thanks bro. Thanks bro. Isaac, (laughs) you want anything you want to say before uh, we get out of here? No, you guys nailed it. That was a perfect note to uh, get out of here, but thanks a lot, Tyler. It was really, really good to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, and Next time we see each other across the table, uh, I hope our game is uh, just as, <laughs> as riveting because it's probably one of the best games of Flesh and Blood I've ever played, to be honest. I agree. Our game was extremely close and, you yeah. know, a lot of decision points. It was really enjoyable. I love, I don't know. I feel you You have a lot of games like that, uh, but they're few and far between, you know, where you just really notice like a really, really nail biter, you know. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. 
You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the Attack Action Podcast. On Twitter, we are at BattleBro Taylor and at BattleBro Isaac. Shoot us an email, the Attack Action Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, like and subscribe, shop for singles using our affiliate link, or support our Patreon for as little as $4 per month.